This is HPR episode 2427 entitled Server Basics 101. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 43 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is Klaatu endeavors to explain the basics of server administration. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. everyone, this is Klaatu. You're listening to Hacker Public Radio. You have stumbled upon a new mini-series, and the mini-series is called Server Basics. It is Server Basics. Um, I want to cover in this mini-series well, well, the basics of, of, of a server, but, but broadly speaking, I want to cover sort of, you know, beginning-level sysadmin stuff. And... Um, I might not be the best person to record this mini-series because I'm not currently a sysadmin. I have been a sysadmin, but I'm not currently working professionally as a sysadmin. But I happen to be in that industry, uh, and I happen to be training other people on it. And I'm also, um, I also vol- do some volunteer stuff uh, that, that has me doing sysadmin work. So I figure I'm, I'm not the worst person to do this mini-series. The thing that that frustrates me, and frustrated me, uh, especially when I was just getting started as a sysadmin, was this feeling that uh, you're that, that you you get you get put into this role as a sysadmin. I mean, you 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 may seek out the role, and and then you get it, and you start setting things up, and and there's just this nagging feeling, constantly in the back of your head, that someone else has already done this before. Like, whatever it is that you're doing, you just kind of think, you know what, somewhere, someone has solved this problem already, so why am I spending an afternoon trying to learn it myself, or trying to get it to work? Heck, you start to abandon the, why am I learning this, uh, feeling, and, and it's just like, oh, please, just work. So it, it becomes like a very kind of frustrating thing, because you feel like there's there's this definitive goal like i want to give people access to this thing and then you look out around online and you get 20 different tutorials none of them tell you actually what you're trying you know how how to how to do what you're trying to do all of them kind of take stabs around that issue and none of them work anyway super frustrating it's enough to just turn people away from from even trying and we wonder why uh, people don't set up computers for themselves. You know, it's it's, it's it, we we keep pointing to things and say, why don't you just use that in your small to medium business, or why aren't we using this in our large business? And and then you look at at sort of the way people are distributing the information on how to make it work, 
and you you kind of realize okay well that's why it's not being used because there's just there is no push button installer for this thing even just to get it set up and running for a proof of concept you know half the software out there that you install on on a server especially i feel this is true half the software out there that you install when after you install it it is basically non-functioning it is useless to you if you if you if you install the service and then you type slash etsy slash rc dot d slash rc dot foo start it'll start but it doesn't do anything or maybe it won't even start it really kind of depends and that's a that's a problem and and it, it feels like it's a solvable problem but in a way it's not and and that's one of those weird contradictions that you you have to come to understand by 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 doing it first and then you'll look back and you'll see okay well that's that's why this isn't this isn't a software it's 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 a framework and so when i install it i've just installed the pieces that are going to enable me to build this thing which i could rightfully call my software almost i mean it's like this is the service that I'm providing to you because I have assembled all these pieces, and that's why you're a sysadmin. So that's a big part of being a sysadmin, and if you're not up for that kind of um, for that kind of that kind of role, then you're probably not necessarily looking to be a sysadmin. And now I'm speaking mostly from a Linux uh, background, although I I have um, have have had major involvement in OS 10 server software from about 2000 and uh, maybe 2008 to 2009 or, or 2007 to 2009 something like that so you know it would have been sooner yeah yeah 2006 to 2009 um so i'm even talking about from that perspective that there's you know it's just the even the things with fancy GUIs and and little iTunes like you know well, here's a list of all the things that I can do I'll just put a tick next to that and then I'll fill out this little configuration form on the right hand side and, and everything should work right oh no it doesn't so it's it's a complex task and you should be ready for that it is it's a lot more than well I know how to use Linux I figured that out so now I'll just set up a server it's it's a lot different than that for a lot of different reasons which we'll go into so before I sort of continue down that path um, or go down that path too far, I should probably just talk about the really, really basics in this episode. I want to talk about what a server is, what you should use as a server, what you can use and what you should use as a server, because those are two different things, what you should be running on your server in terms of an operating system, and uh, I bet you'll never guess what I'm going to say about that one. Uh, and then... Um, how modern servers are different than what a lot of us um, dyed-in-the-wool Unix geek, Linux geek types sort of picture to be as a server. And that's an interesting one, too. And then in a, if the next episode, we'll get to more interesting things. So if, if you know all this stuff already, yeah, maybe this episode isn't for you. This is going to be pretty basic. Okay, so first of all, a server is, as the saying goes, just another person's computer. And you may have seen that on a sticker or a t-shirt, and it's just really, really true. A server is 
just a computer. So especially in the POSIX world, um, anything can be a server, really. Uh, your desktop computer can be turned into a server, or it doesn't even have to be turned into a server. It can just start serving. So when we say server, we, we use that connotation because, I mean, it's just a made-up thing. We call them servers. Well, it's really just a computer. But we call them servers because they are that their purpose in life is to serve some thing. And you may have seen, like, if you go to, you know, freebsd.org or, or, or something, a website like that. Well, freebsd.org, I guess, would be the one that I'm actually talking about. Because you, you go there and you see slogans like FreeBSD, the power to serve. That's all a computer that serves stuff is. It, it is a computer dedicated to serving other computers. And those other computers we tend to call clients, but nobody calls them that in the real world. Like out in the, you know, we wouldn't call them that ourselves. We would if we were a sysadmin, but normal people just call them, oh, this is my computer. And then the server, because it's not your computer, must be something else, right? Oh, it's the server. So there's no mysterious sort of, okay, this is a server and that's not. It's really just whether or not you've designated to serve something. And as I always uh, say, well, I don't actually always say this, but as I believe, um, actions are louder than words. So if you just open up a terminal or a command prompt, if you're on a non-POSIX uh, operating system, open that up. As long as you have Python installed, you can turn your computer into a server in about, um, I don't know, let's call it 18 characters. It might be more like 24. I didn't count. Um, all you have to do is type in Python space dash M, as in module, space simple HTTP server. And that's capital S and simple capital HTTPS. So simple capital HTTPS and then Erver. And that's that will that will literally turn your your computer that otherwise has never been a server before. You may not even you still not even understand what a server is, even though I've just told you. Don't even know what it is. You type that in and press return, and it starts an HTTP server on your computer. And if you go to another computer and go to the uh, to to go to the IP address of your of the computer running that Python command, you'll technically see a web page. I mean, it won't it won't be a very exciting web page. Um, it'll probably be an empty window, possibly, but it, it would be there. Uh, and you are you are serving HTTP now. So what happens there is that if you go to another computer, so if I just type that in on my, my laptop, for instance, and then I turn to my, my desktop, and I open a web browser, and I go to http colon slash slash 192.168.4.5, let's say. I've just gone to my laptop in my web browser. So the web browser, by default, sort of knocks on the um, what we'll call port 80, you know? On, of the laptop and why do we call it a port and why do we call it why, why do we give it the number 80 I don't know these things a port is like um, like a ship that goes into a dock they go to a they go to port they go to a port um, and that's sort of the analogy that we use when we go to a specific well, I, I, I don't want to say go to a specific place on a computer, because what does that mean? But when we send a signal to a computer asking for information, we put a little, we put some text at the beginning of our request, like that little electronic sim uh, signal. 
that we're sending to another computer, we put some text in there. And we say, request this type of service with this magical number, 80, and see if we get anything back. So when we went to the laptop that I've just typed that simple HTTP server in, we we present to the laptop this request for a service. And we're asking for an HTTP service. So that's kind of a web service, right? And we say, here's my magic number. It's, it's 80. And now if that computer is running something that is quote unquote listening on port 80, then it will recognize that request. It'll say, oh, you want some, some HTTP? And you know that you're that that it should be here at at port 80. Well, actually, then yes, you can have this, and it hands over a web page to the the other computer. That's how servers work. It works like that for HTTP. It works like that for SSH. Uh, SSH. It works for that like that for um, NFS. It just that's just how it that's how this stuff works. So anything can be a server. And if you're in that mythical small to medium business, you could grab a desktop computer from the IT closet, which might be your bedroom closet. You grab the desktop computer, you install some server software onto it, and you just call it your server. And you treat it like your server, and it becomes this thing that sort of does stuff in the background for you. Maybe it's backing up your main computer. Maybe it's got your accounting software on it. I don't know. Maybe, whatever, maybe it's running a database. Maybe it's running your website. That can be a server. Now, maybe you don't have a spare desktop computer in your bedroom closet, but maybe you have a spare laptop. Guess what? You can make that a server. Maybe you just have a Raspberry Pi. Yes, that can be a server too. Maybe you just have a motherboard hooked up to a power unit with a CPU and some RAM on it. That can be a server. You going to need some kind of hard drive, but yes, that could be a server. So in other words, a server is simply a computer. If it is a computer, then you can pretty much turn it into a server, probably. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk really briefly about what you ought to use as a server. So, I mean, sure, if you're just learning this stuff, if you're just playing around with it, if, if it's just something for home, and you just kind of want something that that you can run uh, maybe a music server on or something so that you can go around the house and kind of dial back into your music server and just play some songs no matter where you are in the house or something like that you can yeah you can just use anything that you want as a server it doesn't matter an old laptop off in a corner a raspberry pi whatever it doesn't doesn't really matter that much uh, in the real world though it, it matters very much uh, what you use as a server because servers you know your laptop uh, or your raspberry pi or your desktop it has like maybe one, maybe two users, right? You, maybe your partner, maybe a kid, maybe three users. Um, it's it, it it doesn't really need to serve that many people at one time. So you can usually manage to turn anything into a server at your home because max max traffic is going to be you know three or four or six, whatever, depending on what you're trying to run. That's probably not really going to put that much um, strain on that computer device. But in the real world, where you have lots of people doing things in maybe uh, sort of an office setting, or 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 you have a bunch of processes happening, like you know you've got accounting software, you've got a database, you've got um, records that are being taken, like um, well I guess that would be database, wouldn't it? Um, you know. 
you got file sharing and and firewalls and all these other things running in the background um, that sort of thing does actually put a strain on a computer and if you just pull any old computer out of the closet and and start relying on it as the thing that drives your business or at least the thing that keeps your daily operations going um, it's very dangerous and I, I found that out sort of the hard way as well I was working at a place that that just surprise surprise wouldn't spend money on the IT department they just wouldn't do it they they knew that they had to they knew that they should and they just kept not doing it but they kept asking for for services right they kept think they kept saying well we need we need this we need that and but we don't ha we're not going to spend any money on it so set that up then you know and and I was pulling old computers from closets and hooking them up together and putting you know software on them and just kind of hoping that they would survive and what ended up happening was that they would survive for like two three months and and then eventually they would just kind of fall apart they would just start crashing all the time because the the um it was getting used too much or it would hang you know because it couldn't process all the requests and yeah it just it it was not good um so if you are in that situation, if you're entry-level IT or whatever, and people are trying to tell you uh, that they need more, but they don't want to spend any more money on it, don't go online and read sites that try to convince you that you can just do everything with a Raspberry Pi. It's magical. It can do all kinds of things. It's a real option. They don't really mean that. They don't know what they're talking about, or they're just trying to... Um, impress upon you how exciting technology is but they don't literally mean that you can just grab a raspberry pi or an old desktop and set it up in a building full of a hundred people and expect that thing to survive the day so what you should be using is a server a server uh, is a computer as we've said but you want something that's sort of classified as a server you want something that someone has said yep this is going to be a workhorse so we are going to put a lot of RAM in it. We are going to make sure that it has a healthy CPU. We are going to put a big disk drive in it, and we're going to have multiple drives so that you can do a RAID array and actually have instantaneous backups. Um, we're going to give it more than one network port because that would be good. We're going to make sure that the network port that it or the the network card that it does have, the network cards that it has, are 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 a hundred gigabits or or more a fiber channel maybe you know really spec the thing out because if you try to repurpose with completely commodity just kind of off-the-shelf things that were kind of good enough five years ago you're going to be sorry so servers um, that are 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 consciously purposed to be a server uh, come in two different s shapes really there's um, servers that look like desktops and they just kind of sit maybe on the floor or somewhere and that's just kind of your server because it's big beefy and like I say got lots of stuff in it or possibly it's a rack mountable server and they come in these sort of pizza box looking things that you can mount in a rack on top of each other because a lot of times people with one server want you know four or eight or a hundred 
servers and so they just rack them up in a in a rack and let them run so um, that's what you're that's that's what you're really looking for um, in spite of what you may see on 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 articles online by people who who are who are certainly telling the truth they're just maybe not representing how the real world works all that accurately and i don't think they're doing it maliciously i just think that a lot of people writing about this stuff are are very frequently they're they're writers they're not actually people really well versed in 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 using the technology so they they can they can understand it so that they can write about it but they don't necessarily actually you know they haven't gone into the trenches and tried to actually throw a hundred people at a pie and just kind of hope that things work out because if they did that then they would write the article a lot differently um okay so now what distribution what what operating system should you run on your server well look there's only one answer to this and it's linux or bsd um and you know there used to be another option in there but that's dead now but you should be running Linux or BSD on your server. I say that confidently and emphatically. There will be times when you look at something and you think, well, I know normally uh, people would tell me to run Linux on this thing, but but it's for this one little department and, and they really have a very specific need. And so I'm just going to go ahead and run Windows on this on this box for now. Just just because, I mean, it really doesn't make any sense to do anything other than that. And I'm telling you, in this day and age, it doesn't make sense to do that. Do not run Windows on a server. Do not run OS X as a server. Run Linux as your server or BSD as your server. And if you absolutely have to have another platform running on that box, virtualize it. I would not necessarily have said this two years ago, three years ago. Like there were, I think there were some cases back three years ago, let's say, where Windows would have just made sense. It would have, you know, if there was a like a financing department or something, and their stupid finance over-engineered, bloated finance package only runs on Windows, then that would be the obvious choice. But in this day and age, where we have virtualization down to a, an absolute science there's just no reason to be running windows on the on bare metal it doesn't make any sense it actually doesn't uh, it makes much more sense to virtualize it and then you've got this you know you've got all the benefits of virtualization you've got the snapshotting and you've got the the recovery options and you've got the added uh, layer of security and you're running everything in sort of a little containerized sandbox do it that way it's much smarter at this point Default to Linux, or BSD if you know that better, whatever. Just virtualize your way out of any kind of platform incompatibility, and you'll be fine. Okay, so when I say Linux or BSD, what what specifically am I saying? There's a lot more flexibility there, I would say, but within Linux, I would, I would argue, personally, that you want to go with something with that that wonderfully mythical thing called support. And it seems almost silly, but I think that if you if you try it yourself, you will come around, or you can just listen to my advice. Either way, I think we'll get to the same place in the end. And so I'm just going to kick it off by saying you should be running RHEL 
or CentOS, since CentOS is essentially RHEL, uh, SUS or Ubuntu, depending on what you know and feel most comfortable with, or depending on what you're willing to learn. And the reason I'm saying this is because there are focuses, and I think these sort of grow organically themselves. I mean, there's a little bit of guidance from top down, but I, I do feel like a lot of this is more or less organic. Um, there's a focus in, in distributions of Linux, and RHEL or CentOS certainly is very focused on being a server distribution, meaning that if you search for something on a RHEL or CentOS documentation site, the kind of answers, and here, here's a great example actually, I, I remember that I used to get a lot of times, I would do a search for, for something like, um, like, I don't know, MPEG-4, let's say. Search for MPEG-4. Maybe I'm trying to stream it. Maybe I'm trying to convert it. Maybe I'm trying to play it back in a browser. Whatever. If you search MP4, let's say, on a RHEL site, you are more likely to get information first on how to stream it. Whereas if you search for MP4 on, say, um, I don't know, pick anything else, um, Linux Mint, then you are more likely to get information on how to make sure that it plays back in your web browser. So if you translate that kind of example into just everyday server tasks, so if you if you search for how do I f f share files on RHEL, then you're probably going to get results back that kind of are biased towards, hey, here's how to set up a service on your server to enable all of your users to share files amongst themselves. Whereas if you did that on, I'll just pick on Linux Mint again because I know that it's very user-centric. Uh, if you do that search on a Linux Mint site, then you are more likely to get, hey, here's how you mark a, a directory to be shared you know, with other users in your local network. And they'll tell you how to open up your, your Nautilus window or whatever it's using, Kaya, whatever. Um, and you right-click on the folder and you choose, you know, sharing options or properties and then go into sharing. I don't know. I don't, I don't really use that one, but you get the idea. So when you opt for a distribution that sort of advertises itself as, as a server, to the detriment almost of users then then you know that when you need support even if it's just self support like um i'm i'm willing to learn this stuff i want to figure it out but i need to go to the internet to search for something then you get that benefit of like you're all talking the same language so that's why i would first default to rel and centos and it's there's the additional several other benefits to rel and centos and that is that rel you can e learn easily for free by um, getting involved in either Fedora or, or CentOS. So you get like that sort of foot in the door of this big professional sort of server software. And then if you know that, your job opportunities, I believe, later on uh, become pretty good because you're the person who knows RHEL. And that's pretty popular in the market. Second to that, I would say is SUSE, OpenSUSE. They're kind of cool as well because they've got kind of that split between, hey, here's our enterprise product and then here's our community sort of um, user-centric project that, you know, so it, it, it almost straddles the server, you know, am I a server distro or am I a desktop distro? Probably better than RHEL, to be honest, because their support their support for their products are actually a lot longer, I feel. Um, so the, 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 I guess, 
disadvantage, quote unquote, to Seuss for me is that I don't know it as well. So, um, in other words, there is no disadvantage. It's just that that's I went down the Fedora path instead of the Seuss path and ended up at Rel. Um, so, so Seuss is pretty good, pretty pretty solid. Um, or it's a solid distro, but I mean a solid choice for your server in terms of what kind of search results you're going to get when you're looking for something. And then Ubuntu, I feel like the community, at least at one point, really, really wanted it to be a desktop distribution. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me like the message coming out of the company that sponsors Ubuntu is that they're very much a server distribution now. So I'm not sure what you're going to get if you search for how to do stuff on Ubuntu. I just happen to know that they've made inroads into the server market, and so if you do put a put put Ubuntu on a server, uh, it's not like you're going to be completely out in the cold when you search for you know how do I do foo on a server or on on Ubuntu server. That people are doing that. People have articles out on it. There are help. There are knowledge base articles about you know running Ubuntu as a server. So you've got a pretty good foundation there. And that's the goal here is to is to make it so that when you're learning how to sysadmin or starting out your sysadmin career, the thing that you are fighting is not, darn it, I want this distribution to be a server distribution. You know, what you're fighting is, why doesn't this thing work for me? But it's working for everyone else. Whereas if you're having to develop stuff, which is what you want, you don't want to be developing your own server distribution when you're just trying to get stuff set up at a job. Trust me. Okay. Let's talk really quickly about the BSDs. There's a lot less to choose from here. It's it's sort of like, well, you got FreeBSD, OpenBSD, NetBSD, and Dragonfly BSD, and there's probably some others that I that I've left out, but you get the idea. Um, I would say that that you can pretty much take your pick. The BSDs are, are a fairly unified bunch. Not not completely. There there are some differences. Um, and look, it's no secret I'm a Linux guy. I don't run a whole lot of BSD. I've run it on a laptop a couple of years ago for about a year. It was one of my. It was. It was my. I mean, I can't say that at that point that I had a primary computer because I had like two laptops, a work machine, and I think a couple of others. So I don't know what my primary computer was, but it was definitely one that I would take to the cafe and I would work on all day. I did audio editing on it. I did all kinds of stuff on it. So FreeBSD is kind of the one that I feel comfortable with. But there are others out there. Like I say, it's a fairly unified base. That's kind of one of the big arguments about BS, uh, for BSD is, oh, well, it's less, it's not as fractured as Linux, so it's it's much cleaner and blah, blah, blah. And whether or not that's true doesn't matter. Point is, pick a BSD, put it on a server, see what you think. Um, if you're not familiar with BSD, then there's, you know, then that would be a learning curve. But then again, if you're not, if you're not familiar with either Linux or BSD, then then there's a learning curve. So just choose your poison, I guess. I will say that in terms of sort of the ease, the ease of modern um, populist server technology, I would say favor Linux because Linux is kind of on the cutting edge of some of the modern server stuff that people are going to expect. And I will, I will explain what I mean momentarily about that. Whereas BSD, a little bit slower to move, a little bit heftier. They're not always interested in the same things that Linux is interested in. And a lot of people out there in the world are interested, whether they actually know it or not, in what Linux has to offer. Whereas BSD, I would probably feel 
like there might be some roadblocks when people say, oh, I want this on my server. And you think, oh dear, I didn't think of that one. Is that a thing for BSD? Is that going to work? I mean, a big obvious example here would be Docker. Uh, Docker technically works on BSD, but it's still very experimental. It's not really approved for production use. Can you virtualize something and then put Docker into the virtualized thing? Yes, you could do that. But right there, there's you know levels of working around and kind of sorting things out. So if you don't want to run into surprises like that, I would just kind of think, yeah, maybe go more mainstream and stick with Linux. And this is a perfect segue into the difference between what you and I, if you're a Linux geek, uh, you and I might think about, well, this is a server, versus what everyone else thinks a server is. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about the hardware anymore. Uh, We've already discussed that the term server is, is fake and it's just another term for computer. Got that. Hardware is sorted. What what I want to talk about now is what people actually think a server software platform should look like. And it, it has changed a lot. So here's the thing. Old servers, back in the good old days, they were very distinctive things. And I think a lot of people who are getting into Linux and POSIX and UNIX kind of think of that as, very fondly um, as, you know, that's that's what a server is, and when you get a job as a sysadmin, that's what people are going to expect, and it's completely wrong. Nobody expects that anymore. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the, the days when we had a big server in a closet somewhere, a couple of servers maybe, and they're all running, and they're all running NetBSD2. And I don't know what version NetBSD is on right now, so I'm making up a low number. Um, and and you would log into this server as a as a user in a terminal, and you would see a bunch of text, and it would tell you, you know, some message of the day, and it would tell you how to check your email. You know, you would type in Pine to check your email, or you would type in uh, Pico to type a paper, and then submit it to your professor. And all this is done over Telnet. You know, like so. I mean, not really, but but that's the that's the thing that we all, I think, a lot of us think of when we think, oh, I'm going to set up a, a server and have lots of users, and that's it's a shell account essentially. It's a free shell, or it's a shell account that you could find on, for instance, freeshell.org or sdf.org, or or there were several other shell accounts out there, um, and. And that's kind of what we, I think, deep down want it to be. You know, we want the user, we want to live in a collective where people are all computer savvy and they know how to log into machines and they're not afraid to have to type in commands. And that kind of, that sort of mythical, that's the 1950s of of being a Linux geek, I think. You know, that's like when everything was perfect and everyone was happy and... There were TV shows on about families, and that that was that was the good old days. And so, to us, a lot of us, I think, that's the good old days for the servers. It's it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Everyone's using Unix, and no one really cares, and it's just it's all working out really well. And when I say it's the old days, I, I mean it's like the early 2000s. Like I'm not talking about the ancient old days necessarily. It's it's within. It was within our memories as to when this was actually a real thing. I remember as a kid logging into the New York 
public library system via Telnet. I'm not kidding you. Like, that's how you could, if without going into the library, if you wanted to search for uh, a book to check out and see if they had it, in, you know, on site or if it had been already checked out, or if you wanted to renew a book that you had, you you would log into the New York Public Library system via Telnet. Deep Geek probably remembers this, or, or any of you who may live in New York that I don't know lives in New York. I know Deep Geek lives in New York, so he might actually remember that quite well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's recent. It's just not um, – it's not what we think – it's not what we – like, if you get a job today and someone says, oh, we need somebody to set up one of those server things, they're not talking about that probably. They're, they're talking about the new server. So what's a new server? Well, a new server, I mean, that's a developing thing, right? It's a moving target. It's a new thing that, that, that is developing as we speak. But generally speaking, what, what a lot of people think of when they think of a server, there, there's two, two things that people think of, I think. So one is it's a kind of – it's a folder on your computer. I mean, people know that that's not the server, but, but that's, they, they think that's how they get to the server is they go to a folder on their computer and on their desktop and it's probably got some weird drive letter associated with it like you know go to your z drive go to your w drive something like that some some really sort of way out there drive letter um and and they go to that and, and they find their folder for their department and they find all the documents for their department and that's all very nice and frankly, even that is becoming the old server. Like that, that's moving into old server neighborhood. Um, I think the other thing that people think of, and this is becoming sort of like the very, I think, very, very much the norm, is like it's it's something that exists in your web browser. Like you're you're going into the server because you have to go adjust something in some kind of app, and that's the, that is the new server. The new server is a cloud kind of environment. Uh, both for the user and the server, like we, we, you know, it's it's kind of in the cloud. It's it's on the net. It's accessible from just your web browser or whatever, and um, and and it's a, it's a collection of apps. That's that's the new server. And if you don't like that, um, then then you're you're not thinking, you know, your your definition of a sysadmin is not necessarily what the new definition is, unfortunately. Um, and, and that's okay. I mean, there are other jobs in and around server maintenance that do not involve cloud maintenance, but that's that's the new that's the new thing. That's what's happening today as I record this. People are, you know, they're setting up multiple servers in in a rack and they're they're clustering them together so that they're acting essentially as a supercomputer. And within that supercomputer, they're spinning up a bunch of virtual servers, little servers. You know the type, the type that run in something like VirtualBox, although it's not VirtualBox. Probably it's it's KVM, uh, QEMU. Uh, it's um, what's the other one that I'm forgetting? Zen, X-E-N, uh, things like that. They're running little software things that think they're computers, and they get networked as if though they are computers. And you're just wiring all these virtual servers together, and each virtual server is covering some kind of domain. And by domain, I don't mean the official like domain. I mean some kind of realm of of uh, area of expertise, so or, or area of of 
of requirement. So maybe you need a web server. Well, rather than putting a rack unit into your rack or you know grabbing a desktop type server and putting it in your server closet, rather than doing that and saying, okay, well, that's the web server, what people are doing now is they're they're just adding a web server to their to their cluster. And they're saying, okay, that software right there, that, that image, that's our web server, and that's going to be running the web server, and it will it will serve websites to people when they go to this specific address, and that is how it's going to work. And that is how it works. Um, and when people need some other thing to happen on the server, then a new app is installed. You know, you need you need file sharing. Okay, well we'll we'll spin up a new virtual server and we will enable whatever kind of file serving file sharing that we want to provide our users with, and that'll be that. Uh, and and sometimes it's it's not even that. So that's one that's one model where you have a cluster of a cluster of physical computers running together to produce a bunch of virtual servers. Uh, you may have a cloud platform like OpenStack or something like that where you, you just literally it's literally an app like it's, it's here's OpenStack. okay, well, install this thing and turn that option on and hey, we're serving files now. you know it's 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 sort of a big server app that you enable services in for people. And you can develop on top of it and do all sorts of things on top of that as well. But um, that's what that's what people are looking at, and that's generally speaking what they expect when 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 they're talking about servers these days. Like if they're saying we need someone to set up a server, that's largely what they're talking about. That's what they're looking for from a sysadmin. So armed with all this knowledge, your homework is to grab a spare computer or if you've got a really good computer and can manage to just virtualize it, uh, you know, gr grab Vert Manager from the repository and uh, create a new virtual server that you can play around on. Again, I'm going to suggest, if you're really confused at this point, I'm going to suggest going with Fedora on your desktop and then grabbing like I say, Vert Manager um, from the repositories, and then installing CentOS 7, whatever the latest one, 7.4, whatever their number is right now, uh, in a virtual machine. And from there, you can start playing around with this stuff. If you know better, you want to try something else, you can. But that's what I'm suggesting because it's a pretty well-established means of, um, of getting involved in this kind of stuff. So next episode, we're going to talk about um, – we're going to skip installing because I'm assuming that, that if you're listening to this and you're saying, yeah, I want to be a sysadmin someday, or I've started playing around as a sysadmin, but I just kind of want to hear more about it, um, then you probably know how to install – you can probably figure out how to install at least Fedora Linux and CentOS in a virtual machine. That's just something that I'm going to take for granted that you can do that. And if you can't – then go find out how, and that's part of your homework as well, because it's it's an important an important skill to be really comfortable <laughs> with your hardware and software interaction, really comfortable. So 
get comfortable with that and then we will skip installing I'll assume that you can do that and we'll talk instead about sort of the, the first steps of a server setup and the first steps in interest of security are going to be post install it's going to be getting a firewall going understanding how that works installing something to protect yourself from brute force attacks like fail to ban and then later um, after that we'll talk about file sharing like NFS and Samba and other solutions other more cloudy kinds of solutions so great we're off to a good start go to your homework You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.